Welcome back to Core Conversations, a CoreLogic podcast. I am your host, May Claire Bolton-Smith, and I'm the Senior Leader of Research and Content Strategy with CoreLogic. In this podcast, we'll have conversations with industry experts about key topics from housing affordability to the impacts of natural disasters on property. When we think about climate change, we often think of its impact on life as a whole and the lifestyle changes that will occur from rising temperatures and sea levels to solar panels and electric cars. But one of the most profound areas a changing climate can impact is our homes. Will our dream beach home be underwater in the next century, or will the reclaimed land of Louisiana disappear into the Gulf? Will our current building codes withstand the test of time of more extreme weather? And how will we grapple with the cost, both human and financial, of major disasters to come? So for our episode today, we're going to dive into climate change with the one and only Dr. Howard Botts, Chief Scientist at CoreLogic. Howard, welcome to Core Conversations. Well, thank you, May Claire. I'm very happy to be your guest on this episode. Well, I've been wanting to have you as a guest for a long time, so I'm glad we're able to finally make this happen. So why don't we get started by telling our listeners a little bit about your background? You're a scientist, a professor, a neighbor to the stars. How did Dr. Botts come to be? <laughs> well, that's an, a long story uh, that we don't have time for uh, in this <laughs> podcast, but I'll give you the, uh, the quick answer. Uh, Background is a PhD in geography, but uh, on my way to a PhD, I spent a number of years as a consultant working in everything from uh, a retail site location to uh, working uh, as healthcare planner uh, for a number of different agencies, eventually getting my PhD in geography and teaching uh, in the University of Wisconsin system. And one of the great things about uh, Wisconsin uh, is they like faculty members to do what they teach. Mm. And so I had a series of uh, companies that either did consulting or built products and uh, ultimately uh, sold my last company to CoreLogic about 14 years ago. And, uh, you know, that was uh, basically uh, uh, geospatial plus hazard modeling. So really, my whole career has been trying to understand uh, uh, impacts of different kinds of events on the uh, built environment. So uh, this is a great place to be. We have unbelievable amounts of data and really a cool science team here of over 100 uh, people that I get to work with daily. Yeah, and we're so lucky to have you, Howard. Um, for all of our listeners out there, Howard is one of my favorite people at the company. So I'm really glad that we get to dive into this with you today. So, okay, climate change. We hear these words a lot, especially these days. So what's the status quo on climate change and how do we actually define it? Yeah, uh, great question, uh, McClare. And, you know, it really is a tale of two worlds, at least in the U.S., where the prior administration, um, you know, there was really no interest in looking at uh, any kind of climate change initiatives. And then with the new incoming Biden administration, our world has really changed overnight. Certainly the history of the planet, uh, climate has changed, uh, you know, continuously through time. You know, 12,000 years ago, sea levels about four hundred feet lower than it is today. Uh, yeah. But when you don't have cities built along the coast, uh, sea level rises, uh, that, that's not an issue. And so one of the main things certainly uh, about climate change is 
Uh, we built uh, a lot of uh, cities, uh, infrastructure, or homes uh, in areas that are experiencing uh, uh, particularly dramatic climate change. Uh, and the general consensus, uh, you know, probably 90 plus percent of all scientists is we've greatly sped this up over the last couple of centuries uh, with tremendous amounts of carbon dioxide and other things being released. So right. uh, I think the current state is, you know, a real uh, trying to understand what does this changing climate mean uh, for the housing ecosystem, for agriculture, uh, for things related to social justice, uh, you know, or uh, sure. groups being impacted uh, differently. So it's great we're having the conversation. I think it allows us to at least start to understand the magnitude of the problem. And with that, we can start to plan at least to, to mitigate uh, and, and make adjustments uh, to try to prevent loss of life and property. Yeah, it, it's a lot like most disasters. I, I've always said that the number one thing you can do to be prepared for any kind of hazard and disaster to happen is is believe it'll happen and understand it. And we like to say here at CoreLogic, know your risk to accelerate your recovery. And that's really what we're starting with this conversation is talking about climate change to raise awareness so that we can do those things about understanding about how we can be more prepared. How can we be more resilient? Because we, we can't stop mother earth from climate from changing so how can we how can we deal with it okay uh you mentioned our expansive science team and and one of the members of of your science team dr bin he here at CoreLogic, recently did a study that looked at controlling factors in a home of everything except climate risk and he found that climate risk adversely affects home prices so basically that's saying that places are cheaper or slightly less expensive in riskier areas. So how concerned should real estate agents and specifically home buyers be about a deflating market value as we continue to contend with the effects of climate change? Yeah, that, that That's a really fascinating question that uh, we deal with a lot is how does perception and the reality that a property is going to be worth less over time, uh, you know, impact buying decisions. Yeah. And a good example of what we're seeing right now, if you look at the Miami beach area, uh, regularly when they get King tides, super high tides, the streets are flooded. And we're seeing in those neighborhoods that look a little like Venice, Italy, uh, which is not mm -hmm. what you want in a residential uh, decision. Uh, prices are going down, and that's being factored in uh, to the equation. Uh, additionally, you know, a lot of homes that were built just outside the 100-year flood zone, I think there's starting to be growing recognition that these homes, uh, you know, you're not safe if you're just outside that. And so people are looking very carefully. Uh, we talked to a lot of individuals who you know, when they're moving to Florida or somewhere else, really want to understand what's what's their elevation relative to the floodplain. Yeah. In California, we're seeing now real estate agents uh, demanding uh, essentially that uh, people in uh, vegetated areas, uh, Sierra Nevadas and others, prove they can get insurance before they'll even start to go through the mortgage process. So. You know, I think yeah. there's both perception and reality uh, are, are being factored in. And there's one interesting study that uh, said uh, 
depending on your political beliefs, if you believe climate change is a hoax, you're willing to pay more for a house in an environmentally hazardous area than if you believe in climate change. So oh, interesting. You know, uh, even politics fact start to factor into uh, uh, you know how people are viewing space and uh, risk related to property. That's really interesting. And there's, there's a couple of things you said that I want to dive into there. So flooding you talked about, that's something we've talked about on this podcast before about how flood zones as designated flood risk zones, it, flooding does not stick within those zones and you can be flooded in a lot of places outside of those as well too. So I think, you know, from the the lender community and, and trying to get a mortgage, the flooding has been a big risk for a long time and you can't get a mortgage without having flood insurance if you're in one of these flood zones. So can you talk a little bit more about this, of how lenders deal with flood risk? Yeah, that's an uh, uh, interesting uh, question that we spend a lot of time at CoreLogic dealing with. You know, if we kind of go back in time to get a little perspective on this, uh, in the 1950s, uh, 1960s, insurers really couldn't uh, adequately understand what flood risk was on particular properties, and they started to leave the market. Uh, and so in order to protect the most vulnerable homes, the federal government came in and created the uh, National Flood Insurance Program. And they essentially arbitrarily picked the 100-year uh, flood zone, a 1% annual chance that a home is going to flood, uh, uh, as a uh, sort of benchmark uh, and thinking that in the life of 30-year mortgage, then it's relatively uh, infrequent. And so that really was the genesis of the 100-year uh, the flood zones we see today. But we know that that risk is changing. And, you know, yeah. it's, all of us are seeing average annual temperatures uh, globally or within the U.S. rising uh, year after year. And uh, for every uh, essentially one degree centigrade, air increases in temperature can hold 7% more water. Wow. So just the simple thermodynamics mean there's a lot more water in the atmosphere and uh, you know uh, that the 100 year flood zone is probably not an adequate measure. Yeah. And it's really a binary measure. You're either in or out and you know yeah. uh, you have the highest risk obviously next to the stream or river and then as you go up uh, in elevation uh, less risk but uh, you know, uh, I think you hear all the time after a major flood event, people saying, but uh, I've lived here 30 years and it's never flooded. Yeah. So uh, it's a hundred year flood zone and <laughs> there's no guarantee there. So I think we're we're going to see the new uh, National Flood Insurance Program uh, risk rating 2.0. They're really going to be looking at uh, a more graduated approach. And, you know, we're seeing routinely 500 year and thousand year floods in the US. Wow. So yeah. I think uh, uh, I think we're going to see a lot more emphasis on uh, flood insurance. Uh, and we're also seeing uh, private insurers starting to come into the market again because we have very good tools that can look at a very granular level individual home. And at uh, CoreLogic, we've developed a first floor height model that uh, FEMA uses, which essentially tells you how high is the front door from the uh, the property itself and really a good measure of how likely is a home going to be inundated that you wouldn't get simply by knowing the elevation of the property. So uh, floods will become increasingly significant, both from rivers, 
Flash flooding now accounts for more than 50% of all flood losses, so very intense rainfall. And certainly sea level rise, uh, saltwater flooding will become a bigger issue. Yeah, and it's interesting and it's great now that we do have these tools available to help understand the risk a lot more. And it's interesting what you said about there being more water in the atmosphere and therefore we are getting, there's going to be more floods are just going to happen because of the thermodynamics of, of the science behind flooding. And I I think of cities that we've seen these big floods happen in before, like Houston's a big one, Hurricane Harvey in 2017, we saw this massive flood and areas far outside the designated flood zone areas flood. Um, Southwest Louisiana was just pummeled last year in particular by Hurricanes Laura and Delta, and they've seen really bad flooding, which we've talked about on this podcast again. Uh, New Orleans, obviously, really high on everybody's radar. These are just going to get worse. These The floods in these specific cities and, and other cities like them. Are people going to be able to secure a mortgage moving forward, knowing that the floods are just going to get worse and the homes literally might be underwater? Yeah, I think that's the big discussion right at the moment. Um, Will they require homes to be elevated uh, before they can be sold uh, in these hazardous areas? Do we commit as part of our infrastructural investments, starting to build more defenses? Uh, We did a study recently uh, uh, on Tokyo Bay for a Japanese uh, insurer, looking at essentially uh, if you build uh, higher seawalls, and invest the money now, what's the uh, cost benefit of that? And it's a significant benefit to, to build these structures. So the question is, are we going to build seawalls around Florida yeah. or raise the levees in uh, New Orleans? Uh, as we build uh, freeways and other infrastructure, do we raise them up so they become natural barriers uh, to help kind of prevent flooding? You know, I think these are all, all issues. And You know, one of the causes certainly is climate change, as we talked. The other is allowing things to be built in environmentally sensitive areas. Right. Yeah. And when you have repetitive loss, like we see in the flood insurance program, ultimately, is it better to buy those properties out, relocate the uh, individuals and turn that back into space so that's going to be flooded? Yeah, the topic that's really common in the disaster planning world is land use planning and what is the appropriate use for certain lands to be. And I I think of Hawaii specifically and how they've been inundated with tsunami over the years from different earthquake events. And in Hilo in particular, if you go back 40, 50, 60 years, there was four more blocks of homes towards the shoreline. And now that's a park because they have learned time and time again that they they can't have homes there because those homes are going to be damaged when a tsunami happens. So I think from a flooding perspective, that similar sort of concept of what makes the most sense for that land to be knowing that climate is changing and sea level is rising and these hazards are not going to go away. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's absolutely correct. And, you know, uh, you're not doing anybody a favor by allowing them to be in a home they can't resell. Yeah. And even though we have, um, you know, tsunami warning buoys out in the ocean, you may hopefully preserve life, but uh, property damage is going to be extensive. Right. And they're just redoing all the tsunami uh, risk areas in California yeah. and uh, 
Uh, you know, and there's places in Washington and Oregon uh, that if you've been along the coast there, you notice they're relocating schools uh, and others up above the 100-foot level. Yeah. Uh, you know, any new fire station or police station, as I understand it, has to be built at that level. And they actually have tsunami drills in the schools where, unlike a fire drill where you march out orderly, I guess it's run as quick as you can up above 100 feet. So when the uh, Cascadia uh, fault uh, goes just offshore, uh, it's going to send up a pretty big wall of water. So, uh, you know, I think there is a lot of contingency planning yeah. uh, going on. And uh, you as an earthquake scientist certainly know, McClare, that uh, <laughs> tsunamis are an underrated risk, Definitely. I think, because of the infrequency. But the as we saw in Indonesia a number of years ago, uh, that we can have significant loss of life. Yeah, definitely. And, and that topic is is one that I could go on forever. It's something that's very near and dear to my heart. And but something I think we can we can really learn from um, the the life safety aspect of how to protect people is a huge part of it. Protecting property is a whole other side of things. And, and I think that's kind of what we're trying to get into. Um, so if I take a step back, you also a little bit ago mentioned wildfire. Um, and a lot of times when people think climate change, they think these weather disasters, they don't necessarily think of wildfire, but wildfire is a huge one. And you and I both live in California, you in Southern California, me in Northern California. And I know over the course of the last number of years, there's been many times you and I have texted each other photos of smoke that we've seen out of our windows of our home. So this is really near and dear to both of us. And I think, you know, in California specifically, wildfire has become a big thing from an insurance perspective because we live in places that are beautiful but those beautiful places are also so dangerous and from an insurance perspective insurance companies are denying home insurance on some properties because the wildfire risk is too high so where does that put insurance companies and home buyers when they're stuck between a rock and a hard place? Like they want to own this home, but the wildfire risk is so high and they can't get insurance for it. Yeah, I think uh, uh, let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, we've seen the, the most devastating and the most widespread wildfires over the last three, four, five years uh, that we've ever experienced. And, uh, you know, significant property damage. Uh, and that's only increased with the, uh, you know, the extended drought we're having now in the West. Uh, average winter temperatures are much higher than they used to be, which means less snowpack. Mm. It also means that bark beetles and other uh, insects, uh, you know, which used to be killed off by a hard winter freeze are, uh, are not being killed off. So, uh, you know, it's possible to drive across broad swaths of the western U.S. and it looks like an autumnal forest with beautiful oranges and yellows yeah. and then you realize hey these are evergreens uh, they're not supposed to be those colors yeah and so you have a lot of you know standing uh, hazards with trees that are dying or uh, uh, distressed you have low soil moisture low humidity uh, and uh, all of that is the recipe for these huge fires we're seeing the flip side of that is, as you kind of indicated, people love to live in you know, aesthetic areas. Uh, we see tremendous amount of retirees in California, uh, Oregon, Washington, moving up into the uh, uh, Cascades or Sierra Nevada mountains or further east, the Rockies. And they're building in areas that 
you know, are very, very high risk for wildfire. And the question is often, well, who lets people build in these yeah. places? If you think about what's funding uh, many of these counties, it's property taxes. And so they're often highly encouraging, uh, you know, kind of development, uh, uh, you know, in places that, uh, you know, that they see as rational in an economic sense, but we as, you know, wildfire scientists see as dangerous. So because of the number of homes and uh, uh, all the issues related to recent wildfires, Insurers are trying to get a better handle on risk, and they're also feeling that uh, they've got to pull back uh, from the market, I think. Yeah. And so that's having significant repercussions. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't take many individuals uh, talking to their legislators that it starts to become a big issue. And, and in California, the Department of Insurance in particular is highly focused on this at the moment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, non-renewal is a big, big issue. Uh, and a lot of insurers are looking at zip code levels, uh, uh, and, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because part of the zip may be safe, part of it may be uh, wildfire risk, but just blanket denials. And so people are saying, wait a minute, there's nothing to burn around me. Why am I being non-renewed? Yeah. Uh, I think there's going to be tremendous pressure on trying to identify Home mitigation as one approach uh, to help insurers uh, or stepping back kind of like national flood insurance and the California fair plan, which is insurer of last result for wildfires will probably be picking up a lot more policies. Right. Well, and it's something that's, it's, it's going to evolve over time too, because I think we're just continuing to learn more. And, and like you said, I think there's a lot unknown that insurance companies are like, this is a risk area. We, we blanketly will not insure somebody here, but the risk can be a little bit more refined probably. And a lot you can do to mitigate homes. And uh, several episodes ago, we had Dr. Tom Jeffrey, our chief wildfire scientist, come and talk about wildfire risk specifically and things that you can do to protect your home from being impacted by wildfire too. You can't necessarily remove the location from around you, but there are things you can do to mitigate damage that can happen. So I think all of these things moving forward in the future can help being more resilient and being more prepared for a bad disaster to happen. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, Dr. Jeffrey is uh, certainly one of the leaders in this space. And, yeah. uh, you know, as he's pointed out to us, uh, you know, there are things that can be done. But, you know, it's in some ways, uh, it's going back to our kind of topic, climate change, we're seeing uh, fire ex um, season extended, but we're also mm -hmm. seeing very, very high wind events. And so you clear brush away from your home, uh, trees, you do the right things with uh, you know, not having wood piles or wood siding, uh, other things. Uh, but when you get 40, 50, 60, 70 mile an hour winds blowing, uh, for those of you that are old enough to remember telephone books, uh, large <laughs> telephone book size embers through the air, Wow. Uh, that's going to have a real uh, impact. And, and even in communities uh, where individuals are mitigating, if your neighbor's not, uh, you know, that's also an issue. So sure, yeah. certainly we're going to see a lot more building code changes, a lot tighter uh, kind of reinforcement of uh, brush clearing, uh, other kinds of things. 
And I see that around uh, in my house. Uh, all my neighbors are hiring goats to come in and uh, get on the steep slopes to uh, try to mitigate uh, their loss. Uh, the goats seem happy. The homeowners seem happy. So wow. I guess maybe win-win from that perspective. Well, who, who knew that the goats were part of the climate change future? So, um, <laughs> okay. A couple of things I want to unpack on what you just said. I want to stay in this topic of extremes. You mentioned building codes too. When I think of extremes, I think back to February and the extreme weather that we had in Texas. We also had an episode where we talked about this as well, too, where Texas in particular froze over the state's infrastructure and building codes weren't quite up to what they needed to be to handle the inclement weather. And as we would expect, disasters like that or events like that could become more frequent. So is this is this something that we can expect to be this extreme weather to continue more and more more frequently moving forward and how as a society can what recommendations do we have to cope with these changes and whether it's from the utility perspective or building code regulations i we joked during that episode of are we all going to have to move live in bunkers eventually like what what do you think the future holds as we deal with extreme weather well, interestingly, uh, I'm in Austin, Texas today, where uh, uh, we're recording this podcast, and literally every person I talk to has got a disaster story. Wow. Frozen pipes, frozen water heaters, uh, you know, uh, no power for a prolonged period, uh, being displaced out of their house for a couple months while they uh, uh, remediated all the, all the damage to the homes, and at least the case around here it's none of these homes, well, they were built to withstand heat. They all have great air conditioning systems. Mm. They don't tend to have the same level of insulation, particularly around pipes and other things, because yeah. you know, deep freezes have not been a, a significant issue. Well, conversely, this summer, we've seen uh, record heats in wa heat in Washington, Oregon, British Columbia, uh, where people don't have air conditioners. And, you know, heat is a major killer of, uh, of humans. And uh, so we are seeing these dramatic uh, swings. And you know, one of the things that a number of the atmospheric scientists are looking at is the flow of the jet stream, which uh, appears to be slowing and getting a little less stable. So in the case of the Texas uh, you know, freeze, the jet stream dipped far to the south, allowing Arctic air to, to come down. Yeah. And, you know, we have these polar vortexes, uh, it seems like routinely in winters now, which are, are the, uh, uh, you know, the same equivalent, it just doesn't get as far. So I think certainly uh, utilities are going to have to rethink their infrastructure uh, and ability to uh, winterize, whether it's uh, windmills or, uh, you know, other sources of uh, uh, non-fossil fuel and uh, certainly hardening the uh, the, the utilities uh, for th this kind of disaster. And then homeowners, obviously, it's going to become an, a significant issue to sure, yeah. figure out ways to winterize your home so this doesn't happen. Yeah. But the, the long answer is it will uh, continue, I think, to see more great or more fluctuations in, in, in weather, hot and cold. Yeah. different parts of the country being impacted. Uh, it's unseasonably cool now in Texas, which is sort of weird for this time of year. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's hot and dry in other places. So uh, we're seeing variability. Uh, uh, we had a low 
uh, hail tornado season this year. And, yeah. uh, but we'll probably have a heightened hurricane season. So um, you know, different places are experiencing things they've not used to uh, being part of their daily life. Right. Fluctuations and extremes in what we're used to. I think those are the two main themes of, of what we can, what we can expect. And, and I think, is that the new normal or is there even a new normal or what do we think moving forward as we, sometimes we like to end these episodes by saying, if you were to look into your crystal ball, which um, everyone has told me they don't have a crystal ball and they wish they did, but climate change is a tricky one. So if we stick on those two topics of fluctuations and extremes is, is that the future? Yeah, I think uh, uh, lots more uh, in the way of surprises, uh, yeah. good and bad. Uh, but, you know, uh, certainly if you're an agricultural producer, uh, there's going to be real challenges. Or, uh, you know, if you're growing wine grapes, uh, are, are the wine regions going to start to shift? Is this a longer term uh, uh, process? Certainly, we need to look at all coastal development, and as we talked about, uh, building in wildfire areas, uh, in in low-lying areas. The good news is we have the data. Mm. Uh, we just have to figure out how do we uh, kind of get that into uh, decision-making. Yeah. And I think we see, uh, and if I had a crystal ball, I think what I'm going to see is that uh, uh, the federal government is going to start to require banks uh, and mortgage companies and others to start stress testing uh, mm. any kind of loan, uh, you know, like a, a climate equivalent of a FICO score, your property mm. will be given a, a hazard risk score at an individual level. Yep. And, uh, you know, the, the, the challenge there, of course, is it's great for awareness. And I think you should have that awareness before you buy a home but we'll be differentially impacting lower income minorities, that kind of thing. So right. you know, whenever we do something like this, we, we have to be mindful of, of how we're going to deal with uh, individuals that this may impact uh, them in ways that are uh, not optimal. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think, I think that's a, a great place for us to end today because it's, it, as we look towards the future, there's a lot of unknowns and we have the data and we're working to get that data in the right hands so that we can be the most prepared moving forward and knowing to expect the unexpected i think is what we've learned over the last few years so howard we could talk all day and we probably will but thank you so much this has been so interesting thank you for joining me today on core conversations of core logic podcast well, thank you, McClaire. Uh, excellent conversation. I always enjoy our, uh, our our conversations and you're a great example of resilience, uh, which is what we're going to need uh, as we go forward uh, in the, the new world of climate uh, variability. Well, thank you for that, Howard. And we'll have to have you come back on the podcast again in the future at some point in time. So thank you all for joining us today. For more information on the property market and the housing economy, please visit us at corelogic.com slash intelligence. I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode. Please remember to leave us a review and let us know your thoughts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to be notified when new episodes are released. And thanks to the team for helping bring this podcast to life. Producer Rhea Tarakia, editor and sound engineer Romia Roman, and social media guru Mike Wojcik. Tune in next time for another Core Conversation 